0: Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and it's nice to have back in the saddle with me again, uh, a familiar figure to the longtime listeners of the podcast. This is Dr. Andrew Skinner. Uh, Welcome back, Andy. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be with you. I think it was only a few weeks ago that we were uh, introducing Revelation. So maybe about a month and a half ago, something like that, uh, we were inter- introducing the book of Revelation to everyone. So just good to have you with us again. Thank you so much. So I'm so happy to announce that at our workshops that we did at Book of Mormon workshops in in December we're so popular, and I've had so many people have asked if we'd please do more, including people who were there asked if we'd do more. So we're going to do another Book of Mormon workshop on March 1st and 2nd. We're still determining the venue. It'll be somewhere in Utah County uh, and uh, the Provo Orham area, something along those lines, Lehigh, American Fork. And we're going to talk about some of the, the key elements and speeches and sermons of the Book of Mormon. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll get prices out to you soon and uh, more details. For now, you can either email real at gmail.com or go to tsar, that's T-S-A-R dot website, uh, and, or, or patreon.com slash edu. Uh, that's the place where you can start to register and find out details as they come out. So start to look for this, and I think we'll it, we'll have, to have a Zoom component, but also that in-person component is so wonderful and so fun, and we hope that you'll join us for that. It's going to be really uh, great stuff. We had a wonderful time doing it last time. So one thing that we need a segment of our audience to know is that Google has decided they're going to end Google Podcasts. So by March, there will be no more Google Podcasts. So if that's how you listen to our podcast, then you're just going to have to find another platform. We we can't do anything about it. So you could try, you know, uh, the Apple Podcasts or Spotify Uh, or uh, Amazon, and so on. There there are plenty of YouTube. We're on all those, uh, rss.com. We're on all of those uh, normal platforms. So by uh, the beginning of March, I am sad to say you'll just have to migrate somewhere else. Uh, But I wanted to make sure you knew. I don't know if Google Podcast is letting everyone who listens to it know. So I wanted to make sure that you knew. I'm very pleased that we're going to be able to finally respond to requests that I've had a number of times from some of my different listeners or audience members, and that is to try and release uh, our podcasts earlier. This is important, especially for people who are seminary teachers or early morning seminary teachers or gospel doctrine teachers, and they'd like the content a little bit earlier. It's, it's a problem for various reasons to do that on the normal format, but we are trying to release them a few days earlier, uh, so like on Thursday beforehand on our new website, that's SAR.website. So T-S-A-R for the scriptures are real. Tsar.website SAR.website or patreon.com slash you. You can start to get our episodes of our podcast earlier. And hopefully that's helpful for those who really need that extra prep time. So I'd like to remind you that uh, we've been asked by uh, some of the leadership uh, in the church the, to make our podcasts have more of an interactive element where you can share your insights with others and start to interact with each other about your scripture study and what you're pulling out of the scriptures and what you're getting from podcasts like ours or other sources that help you get more out of the scriptures. But especially we want to draw stuff out of the scriptures. So please either comment on YouTube or email us at the scriptures at gmail.com or join our website where I've started some conversations and we're going to continue to start conversations where sometimes I'll ask questions. Please join us for these conversations, share the insights that you're having, ask questions. It's going to be a great exchange. Thank you. We have introduced uh, Dr. Skinner many times, but uh, let me just briefly tell a little bit more about him uh, or not more, but the, the same uh, kinds of things for those who might be new to the podcast. I'm hoping we're getting some new people for this book of Mormon year And so uh, Dr. Skinner, uh, he uh, has he's been the department chair of ancient scripture, dean of religious education. He has um, uh, been the director of farms in the Maxwell Institute as as they transitioned there. Um, He's been a director or associate director at the BYU Jerusalem Center, has taught there numerous times. That's uh, I mean, I've been a, a, a fan of his from when I was just a young pup, but uh, I'd say when I really felt like uh, we became brothers was when we were teaching in Jerusalem together. And I, I, I knew before that uh, he was both an amazing scholar and just a, an amazing person, but I really came to know it there. So uh, I'm so grateful that you're You're with us, and uh, you've been able to tell about yourself before, but is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: About 10% of what you said is true, but I'm very grateful for your kindness, and uh, it it means a lot to me to have your friendship. Uh, I'm reminded of something that uh, President Faust, uh, James E. Faust, used to say of the first presidency, he was getting some kind of an award one time an exemplary man had a word or something and he stood up and said, I really don't deserve this. But about a month ago, I got the flu and I didn't deserve that either. So I'll just take the, the compliment.
0: <laughs> that's great. Okay. Well, good. And uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure you just called me a liar, but that's okay. I'll, I'll, no, i be no, all right. No, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Okay. <laughs> well, we have a huge reading assignment uh, this week and i um, Uh, Just more in it than we could ever possibly cover uh Including Isaiah chapters and so on. And I'll put some things about that on my my new little website for people to help them as well. We're just gonna do what we can do and we'll enjoy it while we do it. So uh, Dr. Skinner, why don't you take us to where some of this has become real and powerful for you?
1: Well, first of all, let me say that I think that uh, first Nephi chapters 16 through 22 is a section that is for us a scriptural treasure. I think it's significant significance lies in its value to both the ancients and to us moderns. Uh, the ancients, because it is a, a wonderful messianic prophecy. It, it holds the promise of uh, the scattering, but yet the gathering and restoration of Israel. Um, and for us, uh, a tremendous value uh, because it prophesies about uh, this last dispensation and uh, teaches us some powerful lessons, not only about what we can expect to happen and what has happened in this last dispensation, uh, but also what will happen in the future. Um, I think uh, section this section uh, of uh, 16 through 22 is so good because layman and Lemuel are so bad. Uh, if I could use that terminology, uh, as a result of Laman and Lemuel's constant disobedience and rebellion, we receive and understand one of the great unheralded uh, prophecies of the latter days, information about uh, the, the first coming of the Messiah. And interestingly enough, we receive a prophetic portrait of a prophet, the prophet of the last days, the prophet Joseph Smith, in the writings of one of the greatest ancient prophets to have ever lived. That's Isaiah, obviously. Isaiah spoke about the first and second comings of the Messiah, as we know. He spoke about the last days. He spoke about the restoration of Israel. But embedded in chapters 48 and 49 is a prophecy, uh, a, a sort of a, a portrait uh, and, and prophecy of one who would be a great leader and a restorer to the house of Israel, and that's none other than the prophet Joseph Smith. So
0: that's and, and maybe what, I can just interrupt to say that's Isaiah 48 and 49, which is First Nephi 20 and 21. So. Exactly, exactly. So uh,
1: I think uh, we'll try to quote from the Book of Mormon presentation of isaiah but uh they're virtually so close that you could go to either either one yeah i agree uh, i
0: just didn't want our audience to be confused uh when they heard 48 and 49 and started looking for first nephi chapter 48 but oh yeah yeah. sorry about
1: that no no no
0: it's good we want to highlight that this is really right out of isaiah
1: and that's what uh that's what nephi is doing is he's quoting isaiah to his brothers, because what Isaiah has to say applies to their situation so well. he's chast- Isaiah is chastising Israel. Um, Nephi has tried for a very long time to persuade his brethren to uh, behave themselves, to believe in the coming of the Messiah, to believe in the validity of dad's uh, prophecies, his mm-hmm. revelation, but uh, to no avail. So, uh, this section in First Nephi uh, opens in the Old World, in the Valley of Lemuel, uh, against the backdrop of Laman and Lemuel's stubborn and rebellious attitudes. And, and it's good to remember that Nephi has just seen the vision that his father Lehi has seen, and uh, he finds his brothers arguing about what father Lehi has been trying to, to teach them, and of course, in chapter 15, we see Nephi engaging them and asking why they're arguing about uh, the teachings of Father Lehi. And he, Nephi, finds out that they just don't understand, uh, and they've made no effort really to understand. They haven't uh, petitioned the Lord. They haven't gone to the Lord. Uh, and they haven't been faithful in keeping the commandments, as Nephi emphasizes. and uh, and Nephi teaches them uh, in chapter fifteen, actually, a lead up to chapter sixteen, uh, several things that uh, that uh, the symbolism behind the olive tree that uh, his father spoke of has to be understood in the context ultimately of the last days or the latter days or the times that we live in, uh, that the fullness of the gospel would come to their posterity, that is the posterity of Lehi, Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel, uh, through the Gentiles, and uh, that uh, their posterity will be remembered uh, among uh, the house of Israel, even though they're a branch separated from um, the main uh, trunk of of, uh, Israel, um, and and that the gospel would not come to the posterity of Lehi, Nephi, Laman, Lemuel, and so on until after the they had been scattered by the Gentiles. And so uh, Nephi says that he he thus spoke to his brothers uh, of the latter day restoration by rehearsing to them the words of Isaiah. And then, and that is a great lead in to chapter 16, where we want to really focus our, our attention 16 and following. Because chapter 16, is, as we all know, opens with more protests from his brothers. And Nephi is acknowledging that he has spoken hard things to them, things that are difficult to understand. But it's hard because the guilty take the truth to be hard, and uh, and this uh, then produces something surprising, uh, which I think first time readers may not expect, but it is in fact that Laman and Lemuel on this occasion, as chapter sixteen opens, these brothers did humble themselves, mm-hmm. insomuch that uh, Nephi says. That he has great joy and great hope for his brother's reformation. This is uh, First Nephi, chapter sixteen, verse five. And so uh, we begin on a positive note after uh, several negative things. And, and uh, I, I
0: think there's a great lesson to be learned here. If it's uh, all right to just uh, interrupt please. for a second, but. Uh, one day, I don't know, I keep thinking that this is a study I'll do and I probably never will. So someone else should do this study. I think it's worth a really intense in-depth book. But I, I think there's something to be gained from contrasting uh, Laman and Lemuel and Alma the Younger, uh, because they both have angels come and reprimand them. <laughs> um, they're both humbled when the angel reprimands them. Uh, but Laman and Lemuel just, it doesn't stick. And they keep going through this. uh, This is our probably, uh, I think at least second, maybe third time that kind of depends on how you take some things that uh, they're humbled, that they uh, seem to be ready to do things right. And we're going to see some more after this uh, uh, as they're shocked later, as they're on the ship and so on and so on. Uh, They keep getting humbled, but it just doesn't stick. Whereas with uh, Alma, he has that one time and it sticks. Right. And, and I think probably the key difference is that with Alma, the the younger, uh, you'll find him very soon after he's had this experience with the angel, when he talks about his change, he doesn't say that he knows because an angel came and told him he talks about the experience of the angel uh, making him think, but he says he knows because he has fasted and prayed much to know. Uh Right. He, he, he doesn't just have that temporary change. He then engages in the things that will make it a meaningful and lasting change that helps him really know. Whereas Layman and Lemuel keep having these great big experiences and they don't pay the the price as we just as you just mentioned. They don't then go inquire of the Lord. It, the, uh, and, and it doesn't stick.
1: The the fruits uh, of of the two, I think, are dependent on uh what they do, as you say with their budding faith
0: yes and
1: uh, and that's uh, that would be an interesting study, but I think you're exactly right and we see many, many examples of that not just in the Book of Mormon but in our own day yeah and uh, even in our own families and that's one of the reasons why I um, think that this is such an important section in the Book of Mormon because we learn some lessons I think about the way families, Operate. Uh, Even righteous families have challenges, uh, and uh, and we want to learn what we can from Lehi and Saraya, who had no easy time of it, considering uh, how they raised their family um, in difficult circumstances. Yes, as Uh, as you
0: say that, a a phrase or a challenge from President Nelson that he gave both to the young single adults and then to the entire church comes to mind. I think we see early, in the early chapters of First Nephi, um, this contrast where Nephi takes charge of his testimony and Laman and Lemuel don't. And Alma took charge of his testimony and Laman and Lemuel don't, right? So maybe that's a a way of tying that into a modern prophetic teaching that what we need to do is those things that that Nephi did asking, studying, that Alma did fasting, praying, studying, uh, that help us take charge of our testimony. That's that's where, because I sometimes I've been layman in Lemuel where I've had a great experience and then I don't follow through. And that was that. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, anyway, so hopefully we can all take charge of our testimony.
1: Well, for me, it reemphasizes not to labor the, belabor the point, but it reemphasizes the point that faith is an action word um uh, miracles visitation of angels powerful uh experiences don't create faith but uh, those kinds of things do strengthen faith after the individual has put forth some effort so faith is an action word uh, period exclamation point and these are great examples of of that particular principle amen it's interesting to me in chapter sixteen that Nephi spends only one verse explaining that uh, that he and his brothers got married, uh, which I suppose we don't need to know all of the details about that. But what really does fascinate me is that immediately following Nephi's um, fairly innocuous statement, oh, you know, we got married and and uh, began our own families," uh, is what follows and and the quote that i'm interested in is and thus my father had fulfilled all the commandments of the lord which had been given unto him unquote it's almost like nephi is saying uh, one of the commandments that lehi was charged with was to make sure that his family were safely married yeah in the, in this wilderness and i wondered about that i suppose I, we don't need to belabor the point but it is an interesting juxtaposition we got married and thus my father fulfilled all of the the commandments that the lord had given him okay well what's the application for us um i don't, i'm not i'm not sure exactly but i think that there is something that we ought to to learn from that that then, uh, oh. part of the responsibility of of parenthood is to continue to be concerned for the welfare of your children and boy uh, you have seen this i've seen this many many people have seen this uh where uh it it, it, it little people little children little problems big people big problems yeah yeah and and, and so i guess the lesson is you're never done being a parent Yeah, isn't that the
0: truth (laughs) or a grandparent or a great grandparent? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, so again, if it's all right to pause for a second, just uh, on that thought you have. And if we're going to try and make this real and kind of put ourselves in Nephi and Lehi's position, uh, Nephi is told when they're leaving that he'll be given a different promised land. Lehi and Nephi are told they have to leave where they're at. Uh, but they're not given the whole picture to begin with. They're not told at the beginning, well, you're going to go across these great waters. You're going to come over to this other continent and you're going to have these other things happen, right? Instead, they're told to leave that God will give them a front land. Then they're told to go back and get the plates. Then they're told back to go back and get Ishmael's family. And I'm just going to assume based on this comment that you're saying there that somewhere in there, Lehi is told, yeah, and that's because they need to have wives and this will allow them to have wives and and perpetuate things and so on. So, you can almost picture the family at, at that verse 8 spot in chapter 16 saying, we've done everything. right? Everything God has asked us to do, all of the instructions, all of the promptings that Lehi has been mm-hmm. given, uh, or dreams, instructions and dreams and everything else, it's happened at this point. They've done every single thing God did ask them to do. And they may be thinking, <clears throat> all right, well, this is where we're at. This is where we, is this our new life? Is this where we stay? Is this our promised land? Is this the end of that journey? And so on. And so I think it's not a coincidence that the next thing that happens is they get away to learn more. But uh, I can picture them saying, because it's so often the case with us, I think, in our lives that we get inspiration and we do it and we're like, okay, we're done. When really that inspiration was to get you to the place where God can give you. Uh, left-hand turn, and tell you now is the next thing that you're going to do. You just needed to get here so you could do that. And it strikes me that that's one of the
1: tremendous values of the Book of Mormon. It's really a primer <clears throat> on uh, on uh, how to be a good child and how to be a good parent. And uh, I, I wish we could see a little bit more of that in our instruction Uh, on Sunday and, and in uh, the things that we talk about uh, on a, on a regular basis Uh, because even though we learned that Lehi is after the children are married, even though Lehi says uh, that he's done everything that, or Nephi says that he's done everything that the Lord commanded him, it still does not prevent Lehi from falling into the trap that he's seen his uh, older sons fall into, and that is complain when things get t- tough.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, when, after Nephi breaks his bow in the wilderness, uh, Laman and Lemuel are mad at him. Uh, why they would be mad and why they didn't, uh, you know, decide to do something about it themselves, we're not told. But uh, why then, not mad at themselves for their own bow problems? But exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then we're told uh, even Lehi, uh, who is this towering figure of strength and faith and and uh, um, hope moving forward, not being told beforehand, uh, but just being told to, uh, to move forward and being nudged by the Holy Spirit, even he falls into this trap of murmuring. And so I guess there's a good lesson for all of us is that um, righteousness and we certainly have to say that Nephi and Lehi are righteous. Righteousness doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems, and it doesn't mean that that uh, Lucifer isn't going to work on you harder. And you might stumble and fall a time or two. And uh, rather than beat ourselves up, let's uh, gird up our loins and just press
0: forward and repent and get on with it. So uh, beautiful. And, and, and uh, I'm I keep. Uh waylaying us. We may not get very far, but I've just remembered something that I, I should have remembered earlier and even talked to about that. Uh, I've been asked to, as we go along to try and, and uh, teach scripture study skills as we do this. And so uh, I think maybe one of them we could put in is, is what you did with verse eight, which is uh, where it says, and thus my father, Camille, I would say, especially in the Book of Mormon, more than anywhere else, if our readers will pay attention every time you see uh, and thus or uh, to stop yeah and think and, and thus we see
1: yeah in fact one of our colleagues uh, long since retired wrote a whole book about that phrase and thus we see and it's yeah. it's a signal for us to pay close attention because yeah. there are important lessons to be learned so that's a that is a great study skill uh, another great study skill which we'll get to momentarily in chapter Nineteen is what Nephi I think c- considers the most valuable uh, interpretive tool when studying scriptures, and that is likening the scriptures unto ourselves. Yeah, and we see this over and over again in in um, in these ancient biblical communities as well as the Book of Mormon. Uh, I want to just hold that in advance because a couple of other things I want to say about that. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, So, Lehi is then commanded to journey in the wilderness. He's given a navigation instrument at this point. It's the first time I think we're introduced to this navigation instrument, an instrument, as we're told, of curious workmanship. And we learn some important things about this uh, Liahona or Liahona uh, in chapter 16, verses 28 and 29. Uh, number one, we learn that it operates by faith and obedience. Uh, secondly, uh, it's as an example to us of how great things come about by small means. It's a very small instrument, uh, and yet it is so incredibly valuable to Lehi and his family. Uh, we don't immediately learn the word, the, the name of this instrument. that That comes later on. But it comes in a section which is maybe the most valuable um, application uh, to our own lives about the, the Liahona in Alma chapter thirty-seven, verses forty-three through forty-six, and uh, and what we learn there is that the Liahona is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ, and the the question then. Uh, is raised what what are our personal small and simple things or what are our personal pointers or directional finders uh that help us through life clearly uh the liahona was that to lehi's family but what are ours uh i haven't uh, haven't discovered a uh an actual liahona, but I have discovered some things in my life that are direction pointers that uh, help me find my way. And I know that some people say, yeah, you're going to say the same old things like faith in Jesus Christ, like daily prayer, like daily scripture study, particularly daily reading the Book of Mormon, uh, praying for charity. Um, Mm -hmm. Boy, if there's one one thing that I would say can change the course of our lives, it's praying for an increase in charity, um, uh, cultivating patience, cultivating meekness, and all those sorts of things. But I think all of us uh, want to know how we can um, find those pointers, those directional um, means that will keep us headed in the right direction, uh, the ultimate destiny being eternal life. And, and this is a point worth studying on a personal basis. This chapter 16 plus Alma chapter 37, uh, we look to Christ and are guided just as the Lehites looked to this instrument to be guided. Christ points the way, uh, and we're back to modern prophets president nelson christ is always the answer well that, that sounds perhaps it sounds trite to some people but the more we study what are the directional finders in our lives the more we realize jesus christ really is the answer for everything
0: and so that's this maybe...
1: is a section that i really think is important not for us to pontificate about but to encourage
0: all of us to really look at at this section amen to that and i again i am with you i would encourage everyone to get back into the scripture study those two chapters in in conjunction with each other maybe i'll just throw in one other way that at least for me uh the the liahona or liahona is is much uh it's a lot like the holy ghost right if if you want direction in life Uh, it seems like Nephi saying, if we didn't believe it would direct us or if it directed us, but we didn't follow the directions, then it didn't keep working. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I think the promptings of the spirit are very similar. If you believe God is going to be speaking to you and giving you direction, you're probably going to get some direction. And then if you follow that direction, you're going to get more. If you don't, well, president Hunter once said, if you fail to follow the promptings of the Holy of the spirit, those promptings will cease. But I suspect the converse is true. If you give diligence to the promptings of the Spirit, they will increase. Uh, I think that uh, that's one of the great keys for me: is am I getting some little directions from the Spirit, and am I acting on them? Then I know I'm going on the right path. And and I think it does happen more and more and more. The more and more and more you act on it, probably President Monson is the best example of that any of us can think of. But uh, I think that's another way we can uh think of the uh, i mean as you said there's so many ways and everyone should give real thought to it for themselves and study this for themselves but that's one i i think it's worth considering
1: it's uh i guess there's an analogy that comes to my mind and that's the idea of muscle memory you do something for so long that it not only becomes easier but you become more skilled at it yeah and that's true for scripture study for paying attention to the promptings of the holy spirit uh, for uh not being a spiritual blabbermouth not uh bragging or boasting uh in the ways that that uh, the lord helps you personally all of that the more you do it the easier it becomes the stronger you become and uh, and it's a it's it's a great uh it's a great promise that is held out to us amen to um, that. Uh, yeah, we're not
0: we're not uh, zipping through this, are we? No, that's I'm problem. sorry, but that that's good. We we're happy to deep dive, but I am sorry, I, I keep waylaying you. No, no, no. That's I I think uh,
1: I think what you say is uh, is very very helpful in articulating what I meant to say. <laughs> no, so, um, uh, as we have said before, uh, Layman and Lemuel, and and even infecting um, Ishmael's. Um posterity. Um, again, keep murmuring. Um, the, their anger level must be super high at this point. Um, their dissatisfaction, if we can use that benign term, becomes so intense that they even start to think about murdering their father and their brother. So I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say that these are now corrupted people they've lived in a in a i think one of the best environments family environments they could have lived in they have seen powerful spiritual manifestations they've had um, correction offered to them and they've had explanation given to them and yet they seem to be uh, spiraling down a, in a more accelerated way and uh, and this is not nephi's fault it's not anything that the parents have done in fact the parents have done everything that they can and so i would suggest that um when we're tempted to beat ourselves up and we have children that we think are not following the right path that we we not blame ourselves uh, for this i'm i'm not saying we shouldn't keep trying but i am saying that uh, there it's the myth of the perfect family i guess yeah. uh, i'm not sure that there are perfect families that they, they we approach perfection as we invest our time and our thoughts and our actions in jesus christ but
0: ba- people go bad yeah yeah, and 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 then people can change later as well. So as you said, we oh, want yeah. to have hope, but um, it <laughs> there's too much beating ourselves up for what other people do, and uh, that's that's not helpful.
1: So life goes on. You're in the wilderness. Uh, they're following. I think uh, they uh, they travel in a south southeast direction. They stop to bury Ishmael. At a certain point, they turn east. Uh, perhaps. The Arabian
0: Peninsula uh, is involved here. Um, Yeah, and I'll just say so that you know and and so that our audience knows that uh, Kent Brown... Uh, recently we just uh, a couple days ago did he did a lecture for the Society for the preservation of ancient religious cultures on this path but we're just going to release that as an episode for this week as well so he oh good you know how Camp Brown details out well okay we think that it may have been yeah. this spot and then they turn east so uh it, they, people can get uh all sorts of details uh from uh our, our wonderful wonderful colleague uh by uh listening to that well and and just as
1: an example of, uh, of this not being uh far Fetched speculation. I have a little note that says in eighteen in seventeen sixty three, uh, there was an expedition that was carried out uh, for uh, King Frederick, the fifth of Denmark, and they discovered a place called Nahum, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, may be uh, Nahum. We don't know, uh, but they place it twenty five miles north of the village. Or the town of Sana, so this is. There have been previous um, expeditions and previous um, discoveries. So that what what Kent Brown says, he's not just flying by the seat of his pants. But there's historical reasons yeah. uh, to
0: to suppose what he does. And, I just. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Keep going. No, no. Go ahead. I just saw a, a headline for an article. And so I, I probably shouldn't bring this up because I have no idea how good it is. Uh, it was by uh, someone who I think is usually pretty good, but I have no idea if it, if there's anything solid to it or not. But it's worth looking into an article where someone said that they had found there in that place, the Nehum place, uh, uh, a, a marker for a grave with the name Ishmael on it. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, there are probably lots of Ishmaels as well, but uh uh, I don't know what to make of that. I haven't looked into it yet, but uh, I guess if people are looking for extra reading material, they could probably Google something along those lines and find that and decide for themselves whether there's good uh, scholarship behind that there or not. I can't verify it myself right now, but interesting. Well, thanks
1: for the notification. We'll yeah. we'll take a look at that. Um, chapter 17 begins with um, a significant lesson on the nature of afflictions. And God's promises—it's uh, summarized, I think, really, really well, in verse three of chapter seventeen. Keeping in mind, you know that uh, when Nephi breaks his bow, that means loss of food. They're eating raw meat. Um, they're uh, uh, bearing children in the wilderness. Um, they are uh, undoubtedly aware of predators, bandits in the region which will affect uh, the way they live life as they move their way through the wilderness Uh, but it's one of those thus we see passages that you were mentioning Mm -hmm. verse 3 of chapter 17 and thus we see that the commands commandments of god must be fulfilled and if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of god he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. Wherefore, he did provide means for us while we did sojourn in the wilderness. And, uh, and I guess the lesson for me is uh, because I'm striving to be the kind of person God want, wants me to be, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have um, challenging times. It does mean does not mean that uh, I'm going to be shielded from the, the normal ups and downs of this fallen world. But what it does mean is, is that God will strengthen me. God will provide a way for me to follow through on the things that he has asked me to do. So we're going to face challenges. I don't know why some people seem to face more challenges than others but yeah ne- nevertheless uh we do have the promise that our father in he- heaven and his son will strengthen uh, our efforts so that we can come off conquer in whatever challenges or difficulties we face i really like chapter 17
0: verse 3 so thank you for letting me uh oh yeah mention I- that yeah, uh, absolutely, and I'd say maybe there's another one of those words we should uh, look for, and a part of this is because when God or Nephi is telling us why something happens, we should pay attention, because most of the time we don't get the whys, uh, we just get the whats. And so uh, the thus is another word, and wherefore, uh, for me, yeah. at any time I see a wherefore, it means stop and look at it. What is, what's the relationship between the thing that comes before the wherefore and the after the wherefore? that Nephi, or whoever the author is, is trying to teach us. If you see a wherefore, there's someone who's trying to teach you the relationship between some things and the whys of that. And so uh, I would pay attention to those words. Thank you. I think that that's an important comment.
1: Um, In chapter 17, we begin to notice interesting parallels between Nephi's circumstances, the ancient Israelite exodus, and our own journey uh, along the covenant path. We have already mentioned the intense murmuring, the rebellion on the part of members of Lehi's family. Uh, The book of Exodus, uh, which describes the ancient Israelite uh, uh, journey from Egypt, details the children of Israel murmuring against Moses, uh, and, um, and pretty intensely at times, Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, Exodus 17, verse 3. Mm -hmm. Uh, much of this related to circumstances that they didn't like because it forced them to to act to do something uh, where they had a a, not a great life maybe but a cushiony life and they knew they knew what was coming They, they could expect what the next day was going to be like and and this is not what happens when you're told by God to journey in the wilderness. Uh, you you have to exercise faith to move forward, not knowing beforehand. And that puts, puts us sometimes in an uncomfortable position. So there's that parallel. Uh, also, we notice in chapter 17, uh, Israel's journeying in their wilderness towards the promised land uh, involved the Lord's hand. The Lord was with them in their journey. Just... Uh, just like he was with, or is with at this point, Lehi's family. So there's that interesting parallel between ancient the ancient Israelite Exodus and Lehi's uh, family journeying in their wilderness. We also note the, the pattern of a prophet leader receiving revelation on a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. That happens uh, among the Israelites, uh, Exodus chapter 19, but it also happens with Nephi's family Nephi in chapter 18 verse 3 says you know I w- I went to the mountain often and received many things of the Lord so I think that that's an interesting uh, parallel between the Israelite exodus and the Lehite exodus in their journey um and this even I I I a little reluctant to mention this because it could take us off on a tangent. I don't think it needs to happen this time, but this idea of um, the the mountaintops being places of revelation, I think points us to a temple motif. Uh, Since we know that uh, mountains were God's first temples. And in fact, the Jerusalem temple is even called the mountain of the Lord's house or simply the mountain house. There's that mountain temple connection Revelation temples are places of revelation. Um, they're, they've been described as the Lord's university. Well, uh, for Moses on Mount Sinai and for Nephi on whatever mountain um, is is being reflected uh, in their journey. Um, and and you would know. I mean, you're you're the expert on uh, on parallels between uh, the Israelite exodus and uh. and and other things. Uh, and 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 other journeys but um, uh, the the thing that that i'm most impressed by is nephi's actual use of the exodus uh, in his teachings to illustrate their own circumstances uh, starting in chapter 17 with verse 23 uh, but let me just read, if you if you don't mind, uh, verse thirty of uh, well, I read verse twenty three and verse thirty of First Nephi chapter seventeen. Um, verse twenty three, and it came to pass that I Nephi spake unto them, saying, Do ye believe that our fathers, who were the children of Israel, would have been led away out of the hands of the egyptians if they had not hearkened unto the words of the lord so nephi is using ancient israelite experience to address uh, the problems with uh, his brothers and the misbehavior that continues to
0: uh to to dog them and, and then and he did that th- in first nephi three and four as well right i mean oh, yeah he, he's he's repeatedly seeing a parallel here and then uh, and it must be significant because th- there's a lot here
1: you know yeah. th- that points to to this parallel verse 30 notwithstanding they being led meaning the the israelites the lord their god their redeemer going before them leading them by day and giving light unto them by night and doing all things for them which were expedient For man to receive, they hardened their hearts and blinded their minds and reviled against Moses and against the true and living God. Well, this is where this parallel becomes very personal for me because uh, I really believe that God leads me uh, in ways that I would not have thought of on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. He leads you. He leads all of us in these latter days and we wouldn't have that help if we hardened our hearts and blinded our minds and reviled against the true and living god so the parallel is isn't just between the exodus and nephi's journey it's also it also involves us in a very important and, and real way uh, and, and and one thing that intrigues me is In uh, verses 25 through about what, 29, uh, Lehi says explicitly to Laman and Lemuel, You know the things that I'm telling you are true. Verse 25, Now you know, or ye know. Uh, In fact, that phrase is used three times in that verse. Verse 26, Now you know that Moses was commanded. You know that by his word, the waters, the Red Sea were parted. Verse 27, but you know that the Egyptians were drowned. Verse 28, and you know, ye know. So how, how did Laman and Lemuel know? Well, I think it's because as Israelites, they've been celebrating the Passover. Yeah. Year after year after year. And they had rehearsed this story their whole lives. Yeah, This is a story they know better than any other. Exactly, exactly. And I think that uh, that has some application to us, is um, the stories of faith that we read about in the scriptures, that we read about in the lives of other faithful Latter-day Saints, that we hear about in the lives of our progenitors, our ancestors, and even those uh, that are contemporary with us, are good to be repeated often. Yes. because they they help us to understand how this applies to us personally at times where we may not be able to see that so I I find this a, a pretty intriguing um uh, chapter
0: for the for that reason and and I like you I have to say that uh I mean there are plenty of things I have done in my life that were not my plan to do and that were that, they were a stretch for me it's not it's going beyond what I thought I was capable of it's going beyond what I uh thought someone would want me to do. Uh it was it was scary and hard and often the road to to start doing it was difficult and it does remind me of what the Israelites are doing and what Nephi did but the alternative is to have stayed in Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. This, this may be tough, but it gets you into a good place eventually. It gets you to a great place. And the alternative is to stay in your old unhappy, or maybe you felt okay about it. Maybe it was comfortable because you'd become used to it, but it was bondage, right? I mean, that's that's our alternative. Stay in Egypt or be stretched by the Lord in, on difficult paths and come out somewhere fantastic.
1: And, and before we leave chapter 17, because we are taking a, a somewhat deeper dive into this than Uh, we might already do, Uh, significant doctrinal points come out of Nephi's teaching, his explication. Um, And I'll just mention these as I see them. Uh, Number one, Nephi reminds his brothers that they know um, because they've been taught uh, the Exodus motif. uh, And we see that uh, in those verses that we just talked about. Uh, We also come to understand that uh, God's love is for all people but that the fruits of God's love have limitations. Uh, this is 1 Nephi 17, 35. Uh, the, the the Lord esteemeth all flesh in one, but he that is righteous is favored of God. So it's not a question of whether or not God loves us. It's a question of whether we will respond to that love by doing the things that he asks us. And uh, And God does show favoritism but its favoritism based on our willingness to exercise our faith and keep the commandments. Uh I, I think that that's a tremendously important passage first Nephi 17:35.
0: Yes. And if uh, uh, Oh sorry keep going.
1: No, no. God loves everybody, but there but he cannot do uh for those that don't keep his commandments what he can and will do for those
0: that heed his word. It's yeah, that's absolutely. A law. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's expanded upon in verse 40, and maybe we can explore that just a little bit, where he says, and he loveth those who will have him to be their God. Now, have him to be their God is a covenantal phrase. So you should recognize right away that basically he's saying he loves those who will covenant with him. But in case it's not clear enough, he goes on to say, behold, He loved our fathers, and he covenanted with them, yea, even Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he remembered the covenants which he had made. Wherefore, there's that word again, he did bring them out of the land of Egypt. So it seems to me, as you said already, it's clear God loves all of his children. There's no doubt he loves all of his children. But there's a special kind of love for those who have entered into a covenant relationship. So we can't tell because we only have the English text of this. That's our earliest version of this, but my guess would be in verse forty, where it talks about He loveth those, and He loved our fathers. That the word is Chesed. Uh, I would guess it's that special kind of mercy and love that's available only inside a covenant, just based on the context. That would be my guess. I can't. I can't know, but uh, we know there is a special kind of love, a special kind of bond, a special kind of mercy that is given to those who will enter into a covenant relationship with God. And and as I've talked about elsewhere, I mean, that's natural in the same way that uh, my wife loves everyone. But because of the nature of our covenant relationship and the shared strivings that that has given us because uh, uh, of that covenant, there's a special love that's not available outside of a context like that. It's only possible within a context like that. And I think that's part of what Nephi is trying to say here. And that ties in with what you're talking about with keeping the commandments, because that's what you do when you're in a covenant with God. Your obligation is to keep the commandments and love God. And so I, I think that's part of what Nephi is trying to teach us here is get in this covenant, keep that covenant and enjoy the love that God will give you and the place that that will take you.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned we we don't have the the original language behind the english verse 40 but what we do have is we have a confirming concept uh, uh from the savior during that last night that he was with his apostles after the yeah. last supper where he talks a lot about love chapters 14 and 15 of john which by the way we don't find anywhere else and then he says something really interesting he says uh ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you, mm-hmm. there's that if clause. and, um, and to me, that means that, yes, God's love is universal for his children. He's the grandparent of the universe. but um we we don't decide based on our narrow perspective, God's friendship, that's reserved for him to decide based on whether or
0: not we we keep his commandments. So, And that's yeah, that closer relationship again, when he talks about right. friendship. It's that relationship that covenant it's, is all it's about. The,
1: it's the covenant relationship. You promise to do what he asks. And the result of that is, yes, you've always had his love, but now you have this closer relationship. You become his friend and and yeah. uh, and I'm pontificating here. I'll get off my high horse in a minute, but I get a little bit um, nervous once in a while when I hear uh, people say, well, yeah, Jesus is is my friend. Um, and, and I know some things about the people um, that, you know, yeah <laughs> would 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 raise an eyebrow. and I think yes, I agree that he loves everyone. He loves all of us. But the friendship comes as a result of keeping the covenants that you made. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I, I ask of you. Uh, yeah. and, and I apologize if I sound too uh, you know, uppity about that. But I think it's a true principle, honestly.
0: Yeah, I think that, that we're touching on something that uh, is really important here. And I've heard... Um, uh, you know, in ecclesiastical positions that uh, I have been in or am in and, and in our educational positions we've been. And I've heard uh, that the the brethren with a capital B kind of wrestling with this uh, idea of saying, OK, we want to teach everyone that God does love everyone. But we also need people to understand that that uh, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, that there's an approval. There's an element of this that is conditional upon your obedience. And, yeah. and there's always this tension of how to to work that out. And I think actually Chesed is the solution to that. It is God's solution to that. It's this idea, I love everybody, but if you want into this higher relationship, this higher love, this greater amount of mercy, this greater bond, that only happens in one way. And so you can have an unconditional love that doesn't bring you into relationship with me and doesn't bring you blessings and doesn't bring us closer. I'll love you, but we're going to be at arm's length, as it were, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be, that arm is going to be beckoning you, trying to pull you in, but it's going to be a, a certain distance. If you want to take the step into, chesed, into that kind of love, that is conditional upon making and keeping covenants. I, I, and not because I God with... doesn't want us to be there. He's desperate for us to be there, but we have to make that choice because he, it's impossible to have that relationship without doing it that way. He can't do it for us. Yeah, which is uh, before we leave chapter
1: 17. I th- I think it's interesting to note verse 45, um, which we have mentioned before. Ye are swift to do iniquity. That, again, this is directed towards uh, his older brothers and towards, I think, um, the posterity of Ishmael that have been influenced by them. You are swift to do iniquity, but so to remember the Lord your God. Ye have seen an angel and he spake unto you. Yea, ye have heard his voice from time to time, and he hath spoken unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling. That important phrase, ye were past feeling and could not feel his words. Wherefore, he has spoken unto you like unto the voice of thunder, and so on and so forth. So an an interesting and important doctrinal point is taught here is that uh, revelation comes Uh, many times through feelings, as President Packer used to say. And now we see these boys, these older sons that are past feeling, and that strain will continue all the way through Nephite society until we get to Moroni, chapter 9, verse 20. And what we learned there is that this concept of being past feeling leads not only to the destruction of an entire nation, but the end of a a dispensation, frankly. And so it starts here, and then we can trace this all the way through till the end of the Book of Mormon, past feeling. How important it is to listen and to feel the communication that God is sending to each one of us. That's the nature of revelation. And, uh, and I think that the book of Mormon is a prime example of how that, you know, <laughs> how that traces through the, the entire Nephite civilization. And, and, and of course there's the concept that God does send wake up calls. And we read that in, uh, in chapter 17, Nephi is, uh, you know, is going to be bound, uh, with cords again, a second time. And, and, uh, he, and uh, he, the, the Lord will, will send a pretty powerful message to uh, the older sons. The chapter 18 of 1 Nephi concludes uh, with the journey to the promised land and the arrival in the promised land. And Nephi records in 1 Nephi 19 that the Lord has commanded him to make a set of plates. And these were the large plates. Uh, uh, upon which the genealogy, his ancestors, the family activities in the wilderness are recorded. And then it's 20 or 30 years later that God commands Nephi to make another set of plates. These are the small plates that are mentioned in 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 30. And, uh, and we're told that these contain uh, events of Nephi's ministry and the prophecies and the sacred truths that be used to uh, for a wise purpose. But there is this interesting concept, this interesting idea uh that uh, in chapter 19 verse six, that I think is worth mentioning, Nephi even, even though what we've said about the large plates and the small plates is true, This is the underlying principle for both. Chapter 19, verse 6. Nevertheless, I do not write anything upon plates, save it be that uh, which I think is sacred. And so, you know, sometimes we tend to, you know, say, well, the large plates are, are, are not as important or they're not as spiritual or they're not as sacred as the small plates. And Nephi is saying, look, I'm not, I don't put anything on plates any of the plates that isn't pretty important, pretty spiritual, yeah. pretty sacred. And so, and I
0: think it's worth stopping to think about because, uh, you know, we could hear that and say, well, I mean, it was a waste of time then for him to ride on those because we don't have them. But let's remember that the Nephites for a thousand years did have them uh that it guided and influenced nephites for a very long time and nephi's teachings are foundational for nephite religious history they get referred to a long time and i think they had the large plates more than they had the small plates Uh, mormon seems to be surprised and he finds the small plates oh look at these these are cool but what they they primarily were using was the large plates so we may not have that record of the large plates joseph smith read them and that was probably also important for him uh and and his learning what he needed to know but uh but the nephites had them and my guess is we're getting uh hints and reflections of them through alma's teachings and helaman's teachings and so on and so on
1: yeah and, and uh, uh pardon this uh, insertion of uh of uh, historical comments here in this last dispensation but if you read th- some of these accounts by uh brother brigham president young uh, yeah. and and others there were a lot of plates that that existed. It isn't just the gold plates, right. which I think is is an important concept to keep in mind. There were lots of records, and we're so blessed to have a a, a genius prophet, uh, prophets, Mormon and Moroni, to condense it down into the Book of Mormon record that we have now. Give us uh, the 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 best. The most important. Well, the end of, of chapter 19, or towards the end of chapter 19, is this principle that we've mentioned before, uh, where Nephi, again, is trying to teach his, his uh, recalcitrant brothers, um, and he is reading to them from the Pentateuch, from the books of Moses, uh, first five books of Moses, but then he makes this comment, which leads to chapters 20, 21 and his divine interpretation or spiritual interpretation in chapter 22. This is what he says. This is first Nephi 19, 23. I did read many things unto them which were written in the books of Moses, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord, their Redeemer. I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah, for I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our prophet, And for our learning. And so, what we get then in chapters 20 and 21 is Nephi turning to Isaiah chapters 48 and 49 to teach several important lessons the coming of the Messiah, the power of the Messiah to restore and to redeem. And that's not just from sin, sorrow, and suffering, but we're talking about physical uh, restoration as well, physical redemption. Uh, and then in chapter twenty one, uh, as we have been reading, we see that Isaiah has—he's been talking about um, servants who would who would help um, the Israelites uh, in the in the gathering process, in the redemptive process. And in chapter 21, he announces a special servant who would come forward in a future time, i.e. the latter days, and possess um, several attributes, several qualities, unmistakable qualities that would bless Israel in the last days uh, with the completion of the, of the gathering. And so if, if, let me just um, quickly, if I can, uh, list the quali- qualities, the the attributes that uh, that Isaiah announces in chapter forty nine, or in First Nephi chapter twenty one. So uh, you'll recognize these char- characteristics or qualities. Um, I think as soon as we pull them out of the different verses, uh, so this, this, uh, servant whom Isaiah sees in a future day in the latter days, um, would be someone who, uh, verse one, the Lord has called from the womb. This is first Nephi 21, one or 49, one, uh, This special servant would be someone whose mouth was like a sharp sword, uh, verse 2 of uh, 1 Nephi 21, or someone who spoke with authority, in other words. Um, This special servant would be hidden in the shadow of the Lord's hand, uh, a special servant who was made a polished shaft in his quiver, uh, whom the Lord has hidden. Uh, someone who would say, quote, I have labored in vain, unquote, that's verse four. Uh, someone who would authorita- authoritatively say, and now saith the Lord, that's verse five of Nephi 21. Uh, someone who would say that the Lord hath, quote, formed me from the womb to do a special work, or someone who was foreordained. Uh, uh, this servant uh the servant's life's work would be to, quote, bring Jacob again to the Lord, though Israel be not gathered. Uh, that's verse five. Verse six, someone who the Lord's, someone who would be the Lord's, quote, servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel, unquote. Uh, someone who the Lord would give for a light unto the Gentiles. That's verse six. Someone whom man despiseth, verse 7. Someone who would be given to Israel, quote, for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause, to inherit the desolate heritages, uh, who would free prisoners and enlighten those who sit in darkness. So this, this chapter that Nephi reads to his brothers really is a chapter for us. Yeah, Uh, because all in one way or another, uh, I think uh, these various characteristics um, could refer to a lot of different special servants that the Lord has raised up uh, over the centuries and millennia. But taken all together, I think there's only two people that fit all of these characteristics listed in chapter 49 or in first Nephi 21. One of them is obviously Jesus Christ, and the other one is the prophet Joseph Smith. And when we look at all of these characteristics, we realize that, in fact, Joseph Smith fits the bill in every case. He was called uh, from the womb. Um, He knew that he had been chosen as the prophet of the Restoration, uh, he spoke with a sharp sword. That is to say, he spoke the word of the Lord. You know, we read in the Doctrine and Covenants uh, several passages that use the, the phrase sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, he was hid by the Lord, according to section 86, verse 9. He became a polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Joseph Smith himself said, I am like a huge rough stone. Uh, rolling down from a high mountain. Um we know that Joseph Smith at times became discouraged and felt that his labors were in vain. Look at section 20, 121 verse 2. Only Joseph had the authority to speak for God and so on and so on and so on. So the the sort of the high point for me as Nephi says I'm I'm reading Isaiah to help um my brothers understand and also to hope for their repentance. The high point is in the last days, God's going to provide this, this servant and it's none other than the prophet Joseph Smith. So that is the, I guess the high point uh, of the Isianic passages is ultimately pointing to our own day. And this great servant who uh, is, um, who has done more for the salvation of the children of men on earth than any other person, except for the Messiah, who also fulfills all of the qualities and
0: characteristics. So amen, amen to that. And uh, I mean, to see Christ and Joseph Smith in here, I think is so powerful. And maybe I'll throw one other way of likening this uh, to ourselves in there, if that's all right, because I I mean, first of all, I don't want to take away. I couldn't agree more emphatically. The most important fulfillments of this are Christ and then Joseph Smith. But I think there's another thing that it's important for us to look at. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hang on just a second. <clears throat> okay. Um, if we look at verse three, this is one of the, there are a few places where the servant is identified in Isaiah. And and one of them is chapter 49, verse three, or first Nephi 21, verse three, thou art my servant, O Israel. Now let's keep that in mind. And let's, let's go back to first Nephi 19, as you were talking about, where I think, uh, so wonderful, all of the ways we like it and all of those are intended. But if we were to look, uh, in, in verse 19, we could start like maybe in verse 10, where, where Nephi starts to talk about the God of our fathers who were led out of Egypt. So we get that again. Uh, and then he, he, and he talks about Christ. Um, but then he starts to turn that into talking about those who are at Jerusalem and uh, God remembering his covenants to the, the promised, uh, the, the covenant people. And, uh, and so on. And, and so he talks about covenant people. Then we get verse 23, as you said, I did uh, read many things unto them, which were written in the books of Moses that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord, their redeemer. So there's that part you've already talked about. Christ is the focus of this. He says, I did read into them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah, for I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our profit and learning. Wherefore there's one of those words again, because I want this to be likened unto them for their profit and learning. I spake unto them, saying, Hear ye the words of the prophet, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel, a branch who have been broken off. Hear ye the words of the prophet, which were written unto all the house of Israel, and likened them unto yourselves, that ye may have hope as well as your brethren from whom ye have been broken off. Now, it seems to me the context before verse 23 is all about the house of Israel. Verse 24 makes it very clear it's about the house of Israel. Then we're going to read these prophecies about the gathering of the house of Israel, including the verse that says the servant is the house of Israel. I think that the primary likening that's happening or that Nephi is talking about is for us to recognize Isaiah is talking about the house of Israel. He's talking about the covenant with God and Christ being the fulfillment of that covenant with the house of Israel, but he's talking Mm -hmm. about that covenant with Israel. So he says to his brothers, you're of the house of Israel. So what Isaiah is writing is about you. And he is saying that to us as well. You, your covenant people. Andrew Skinner is, Carrie Mielstein is, so is everyone who is listening uh, that has made a covenant with God. You are covenant people. Therefore, these prophecies, Isaiah 48 and 49, I'm gonna read to you, but really everything that he's writing and everything that is in the scriptures, but these prophecies very specifically are about you, house of Israel, and so if we're going to liken it in that way and, and, and then go to, to 49 verse 3 or 21 verse 3 and remember that Israel is God's servant, then in some ways these chapters have to be about us as well. We have to find how they're telling us we need to go and do these things. So, for example, if we we're to go back to, to Isaiah 49 or verse Nephi 21, after he talks about all these things you've talked about, and then we get verse 6. And he said, "It is a light thing, and that one is—it's not a very heavy thing. It's—it's too easy of a thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light, and that's the—the optical light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth." That's absolutely true about Christ. That is absolutely true about Joseph Smith. But it needs to be true about me and about you as well. That God is saying. I, it's too small a thing for you to just try and save the people around you, you know, the, the people in your ward. You need to bring my gospel to the whole world. That's your role as a covenant people. And, and so I think that's one of the ways that Nephi is intending for us to liken this. He, he intended for Laman and Lemuel, but also intending for us to liken this to ourselves. And so uh, I think primary uh, interpretation, Jesus Christ, probably next primary interpretation, Joseph Smith. But a very important interpretation is uh Andrew Skinner and Carrie Mielstein and uh Wayne Chapel and whoever else Rich Nichols, whoever else we want to throw in there any names you can come up with uh John Smith uh that uh we can say these are uh about us uh as a covenant person as well well said i i I would be remiss
1: if I didn't mention that uh the last chapter of our section chapter mm. 22 Isaiah reveals events associated with the restoration or redemption or, or of Nephi Israel. does do you mean or what did I say Isaiah Isaiah yeah 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 it's uh, um, it's Nephi uh prof- inspired prophetic commentary on everything that's that's been said beforehand. Yep. And uh, and it's uh, a very powerful chapter that ties in with um, with um, the latter days, uh, and and mentioning that uh, that a mighty nation will be uh, raised up. Um, it's it's uh the phrase this land upon which the mighty nation will be established uh and this idea of a marvelous work that the lord will proceed to do among the gentiles so the gentiles uh, actually are are uh, uh front and center and focus uh, of first nephi chapter 22 and uh, and maybe um maybe the best thing that i can do is just um, read uh in conclusion uh just a couple of verses from first nephi chapter 22 mm-hmm. um because it it sort of solidifies and brings together uh what we've been saying uh this is this is first nephi 22 8 9 and 12 more or less
0: a few little ellipses here Quote. And 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 maybe before you read that, Mick, because I want you to be able to end just reading these verses the way you want. So maybe I'll just say this now. I I think it's important for us to recognize that often he's talking about Gentile nations, right? So yeah, uh, in a way, we would all be in Gentile nations, although we're Israelite individuals within those Gentile nations. And I think it's it's important to remember that distinction sometimes.
1: So uh, let me let me read um, this passage, and then I'll conclude with a comment by um marky peterson who was a a member of the quorum of the 12 apostles years and years ago uh, who wrote a fantastic book called the great prologue in which he ties together uh, the redemption and restoration and gathering of israel with the establishment of the um, american uh, nation on on which we live uh quote first nephi 22 And after our seed is scattered, the Lord God will proceed to do a marvelous work among the Gentiles, which shall be of great worth unto our seed. Wherefore, it is likened unto their being nourished by the Gentiles and being carried in their arms and upon their shoulders, and it shall also be of worth unto the Gentiles. And not only unto the Gentiles, but unto all the house of Israel, unto the making known of the covenants of the Father of heaven unto Abraham uh, saying in that, in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Wherefore he will bring them again out of captivity. They shall be gathered together to the lands of their inheritance. They shall be brought out of obscurity and of darkness. And they shall know that the Lord is their savior and their redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. And, uh, and this really uh, pertains to, as you Uh, so nicely summarized this really pertains to all of us uh elder marky peterson uh talked about who these gentiles are that nephi refers to and this is the quote that i'll end with Uh, he says quote we are we are referred to in this prophecy as gentiles but we are the believing gentiles because we have the believing blood of ephraim in our veins as well Mm -hmm. as the blood of the gentiles our pedigrees show that we come from many nationalities. In the revealed dedicatory prayer for the Kirtland Temple, the prophet Joseph Smith used this expression, quote, concerning the revelations and commandments which thou has given us who are identified with the Gentiles. Uh, that's section 109, verse 60. It is inspiring indeed to realize that we who now, excuse me, that we who live now and have received the restored gospel are the very ones to whom Nephi and the Christ referred to some 2000 years ago we have lived in prophecy well that's really kind of a of a way of saying that what you said regarding all of this pertaining to us as well as to the nephites and the lehites and you know all the whole house of israel we're part of all of what nephi uh, had in mind when he read to them isaiah and uh, and i'm grateful to have that information that we can't find anywhere
0: else in scripture only in the book of mormon amen amen this has been so much fun andy thank you very much Thank you. Uh, Maybe I'll just let our our audience know what's coming up for them. Uh, We've got, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Kent Brown uh, will also uh, talk a little bit about uh, the the trail and and the uh, journey in the wilderness. Uh, and also, I mean, we're not going to be able to touch on Isaiah very much, and that's painful for me. We've done it a little bit here. Besides the Isaiah stuff I've written, I know you've written a great article and another useful book. Uh, Andy, would you be willing to share with us that that title? You bet. Uh, The the book is called Isaiah
1: in the Book of Mormon, edited by um, Professor Welch and Professor Perry. Uh, My article is entitled Nephi's Lessons to His People – the Messiah, the Land, and Isaiah 48 to 49 in 1st Nephi 19 to 22. And uh, some of the material that we talked about today, uh, in fact, much of the material and a lot more can
0: be found in that article. Wonderful. And, and you can find that at uh, BYU Scholars Archive, I know. So uh, if you just Google either that title, uh, I think it'll take you to BYU School- Scholars Archive, or if you, whatever search engine you use, you don't have to use Google. Um, and uh, uh, or you can just go to BYU Scholars Archive and search for that title and you'll find it. So wonderful stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I've got uh, Natalie Hunsaker, who's an artist that's been trying to depict uh, things of uh, from Isaiah and kind of her journey in understanding Isaiah 48 and 49. And, and she and I get jump into depth on that uh, there. So she'll be on. And then uh, I'll try and do a few extra things on my website, uh, Enlightened Edgy to You. But uh, I, I guess in the end, I'll just say, if you want more on these Isaiah chapters, I'd, I'd refer you to my book, Learning to Love Isaiah, and I have uh, Book of Mormon highlights in there trying to show a little bit of what Nephi is doing with Isaiah there. So you can get more into depth with it there, but that's about as much as we're going to be able to do. Next week, uh, we're going to have Casey Griffiths on and Lamar and I will also uh, talk about the readings for uh, next week. this. Uh, these powerful chapters second Nephi one and two some of the more powerful densely doctrinal rich chapters in the Book of Mormon uh, so we'll invite our audience to uh to come back next week and listen to that and we hope that you'll share this with people you know these uh, I love all the podcasts that I listen to and I listen to a bunch but I think that uh, these kind of uh deeper dives that we're doing you're not getting this anywhere else and so uh let's uh uh, I, I, all of it, we don't want to, uh, we want to do both the, the things everyone else is doing and this. So let's, let's do it all. I'm not disparaging others. I'm just saying we've, we add a little variety. So share that with uh, someone, let them know about the cool things that are going on here. Talk to them about it, share it electronically, like download rate review, all those things. And remember that, uh, I've been asked to invite my audience to, uh, have a dialogue with us, share some of your insights with us. Uh, So please uh, either email me at the scripturesareal at gmail.com or get on the YouTube channel where you can do it or get on Enlightened Edge EDU. We'll put the link on on there. Um, But uh, these are forms we're trying to create where you can leave your insights uh, and then we'll try and share those insights uh, online from time to time and things like that. But uh, we hope that you'll do that because uh, that's that's a valuable part of the Come Follow Me program. And we've been asked by, by those who run that program to uh, give, invite you to do that with us. So please do that and share this with everyone. And we hope you'll have a wonderful day. And again, thank you so much, uh, my good friend. Uh, you've, you've edified me today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you.